Father, we thank you so much this morning. Thank you so much for the fact that we are children of God here this morning. Thank you for the beautiful verses, Lord God, that are that were incorporated in that song. Verses like John eight thirty six. If the Son therefore shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. Father, we thank you so much for that freedom you provided so long ago. That today all we have to do is look to you in faith and you work it out in our lives. You will revolutionize our makeup, our constitution. You would transform our lives. You would translate us or transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And today, Father God, we are enjoying your presence here today because of what Jesus did for us so long ago. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lord God, for giving us this wonderful privilege and this wonderful opportunity. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you personally, may you reach into their souls, into the depths of their lives, Heavenly Father. May you stir something up on the inside of the person, Lord, so that today somebody may leave here knowing you personally and intimately. And that for eternity, we may all be able to celebrate in your presence. We worship you today, Lord God. And we pray that you may, that you may continue to manifest your presence in our lives this morning. Especially now as we open up the Bible, Father God. To hear whatever it is you have to say to us this morning. There are truths from your word, Lord God, that we must apply to our lives. Help us this morning, Father. Give us wisdom. Give us your substance by your Holy Spirit. These things we pray in Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, church. The title that I have for you this morning is My Hero. Anybody got heroes? Anybody living today with heroes? No, nobody. Some of you. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 7. We're going to talk about right now, <clears throat> for these first few moments, we're going to talk a little bit about relationships. Just for this portion of the message. We're going to talk a little bit about relationships, especially, um, particularly those relationships that we establish with people in our lives that we just clearly stand to benefit from. Anybody have friends like that, that they are... A good service unto you. you. You glean something from them. You glean wisdom. And I don't mean that in a negative way you would benefit from. Though that's, that's manipulation, right? We, we don't have any manipulators in the house today. But wonderful relationships that we have with people that we just clearly benefit from. Uh, we've, we refer to them today as mentors. Mentors, Right? Because life is as difficult as it actually is, coupled together with the fact that we're just simply imperfect. From time to time, we need to lean on somebody. It's not a verse that I have in a lesson today, <clears throat> but I, I, I think I've cited it many times um, here on a Sunday. And it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Because the Bible speaks a lot about a support group. How many know that? 
It speaks about support. It speaks a lot about family and community. And my favorite verse in all the Bible, in all the Bible concerning community is Ecclesiastes 4.12. I just love it. And I can't get enough of it. One standing alone could be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three is even better because a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So, so we need mentors in our lives, especially heroes. How many know that from time to time, um, someone comes along, somebody really special comes along that's even willing to lay his or her life down for us. Talking about heroes this morning. And today we are going to read about a man who served as a hero to an entire nation for 40 long years. Years. In fact, in the book of Judges, where we're going to be reading from Judges chapter 7, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, there are a lot of heroes that actually emerge in this one particular book. We're going to consider this morning just one of those heroes. And while it is true that we stand to learn much about our main actor in our text this morning, or our... <clears throat> The message that we are want to focus on this morning is, is how we can get to this place where we can better appreciate our ultimate hero, Jesus Christ. Judges chapter 7, you have it, say amen. Now, I want to read the whole chapter. How about that? Because I just love it. If we, if we don't do anything else, we're going to read the text. Then... Jerubael, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped behind, <clears throat> beside the spring of Harab. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, mine own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. That's a lot of people that left. You talk about a lot of cowards. I mean, the, the, the question was if there's anybody fearful and trembling. That's a whole lot of cowards. That's a whole lot of people. And I mean that in a good way. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. 
but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, now this is a dream, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east. Notice, it's not just one nation represented here. It's not just two. It says all the people of the east. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore is abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty, and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. That was night. When they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword! For the Lord and for Gideon, every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and, set, and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bethshita toward Zerera, as far as the border of Mm-hmm. That place. Abel Mehola by Tabath. And, and the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh. And they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. 
And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, I believe. That's how you pronounce it. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. And Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. <clears throat> then they pursued Midian. And they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. What an amazing scene is actually, was actually taking place right here in this one particular battle. Can, can you picture it? It says the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people from the east, they were gathered in a valley, and the children of Israel was just, were just beyond this one particular valley. They were encamped, and there were a lot of people there. You see, it says that the, the camels and the, and, and the other various animals that the Amalekites and so on and so forth, that they brought... With reason, we're going to get there in just a little bit. They were actually so numerable in number, they consumed the entire land. And by the way, if you read the book of Judges this past week, you probably took note that there was a reason why they brought cattle with them. It wasn't just the Israelites and their cattle that were present, but the army brought their cattle too. You know why? Because it was probably the impression that I got from reading the book is that it was probably harvest time. And they brought their animals there. And if you read it, you will see that their animals, the ones they brought, were actually consuming harvest. The Hebrew people were ready to harvest. They were consuming their produce and their crops. So they brought their animals to feed. And everybody was essentially afraid. And when God gave the opportunity for anybody who was fearful and afraid to leave, <laughs> listen, most of them actually left. Leaving 10,000. And then God figured, you know what? There's still too many. Because if I perform the work that I want to perform in your lives here today. With all of these people that you have here. They're going to take the glory. Somehow, some way, you are not going to give me the glory. And how many know that sometimes in our lives today. You, listen, we get some circumstances. Anybody dealing with some trouble here today? Anybody dealing with an issue today? Nobody? Everybody's perfect, no financial problems, no marital issues. How many marriages are perfect here today? Huh? Any sickness among us? We got issues, don't we? My issues have issues. I got problems. I got my wife driving, I'm driving my wife up the walls from time to time. I mean, we got problems, we got issues. And sometimes God allows for these circumstances to invade our lives because He wants to show Himself glorious in our lives. How many know that? And listen, and when God shows up, He shows up. And at the end of the day, He doesn't want us as His people to take any glory whatsoever. You got some troubles in your life here today. And I can tell you from the inspiration of the Word of God that God is looking to do something great in your life. Some of you are alone and you've been alone for quite some time. And you're wondering whether there's light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, we all have problems like this. Consider the difficulty that they were faced with on that one particular day. They were about to be consumed. I mean, they, the, there was an army there. There was just no way in the natural that they were going to win this one particular battle. There was just no way. But how many know that God allowed this scene to unfold, as it were, to show himself glorious? And he did ultimately do exactly that. The problem here, one of the problems that God wanted to deal with, He wanted to bring to an end the, the cycle that they were involved in on a regular basis. There's a fourfold cycle that's 
mentioned here in this one particular text. Number one, they were rebellious. In this season of their lives, Jael, J-A-E-L, a woman actually led them for 40 years. And during her tenure as leader, they had peace for 40 years. That's a very long time. They had peace because she was a woman of God. But no sooner she dies, the text gives us the clear indication that they rebelled against God. And as a result of their rebellion, they experienced the hand of God, the judgment of God, the punishment of God. The word is retribution because of their disobedience. And they went on like that, according to the text, for seven years. Can you imagine being oppressed by your enemy for seven long years? I mean, most of us can't handle a week or two, right? Because it's difficult. When trouble invades our lives, it's difficult to handle. But we have to be empathetic. We have to look into the text and consider the level of suffering that God's people were experiencing during that time for seven long years. Remember, they were God's chosen nation. They were God's people. And we have to see it as such. And for seven years, because of their rebellion, they suffered at the hands of the, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and various other nations that were there. Until one day, they repented. Which is the third element of this fourfold cycle that appears throughout the entire book of Judges. They repented, and God heard their cry and he brought them deliverance and restoration as a result how many know that god is a loving god let me see your hand let me see you god is a loving god and while it is true he doesn't promise us blue skies every day of our lives we're going to go through some stuff it's going to happen in fact prophetically isaiah in chapter 43 verse 2 you might want to write that verse down Isaiah 43, verse 2. He says, when you, and he presents an absolute. The indication is that we're going to go through some difficult times. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the fire, etc., etc. It should not burn you and the flames should not kindle upon you, the verse says. And these are wonderful promises from the Lord. The indication is that, yes, I'm going to allow some circumstances to invade your life, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and I will bring about my deliverance in your life. And there are a number of reasons why God allows difficulties to, end up, uh, to, to invade our lives, if you will. He wants to refine us, He wants to purify us, and He wants to make us more like Himself. Amen, somebody. How many want to be more like Jesus today? I don't know, but this thing... Lord have mercy. Janine, we're going to have that meeting, Janine. We're going to have that meeting. Um, point number one. Write this down. A major consequence. A major... Lord have mercy. A major consequence. Look with me to chapter 6, verse 1. It says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, 
And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered them. The hand of Midian overpowered them. And this, this point, number one, has to do with the acknowledgement of our sin. The acknowledgement of our sinful nature. How many know that it's a reality? It, and Ted said, yes, sir, yes, sir. I know it very, very well. It, it's a reality. You and I possess a nature that cripples us, that gives us trouble more often than not. And I like Paul, uh, Paul's words in Romans 7 because, there you go, he, he, he refers to this struggle that we experience in our flesh on a regular basis. There's a part of me that wants to serve God and the other part of me doesn't want to serve the Lord. And sometimes if we are not vigilant, if we're not sober-minded, we're going, to re- we're going to get to that verse in a few moments. If we are not on our spiritual P's and Q's, if you will, the enemy will indeed get the best of us. But how many know that God has a plan? Amen. Say that with me. God has a plan. One more time. God has a plan. He always has a plan. As I said to you already, He wants to make us more like Himself. The text does not say that He was responsible for their rebellion. They were responsible for their rebellion. And as a result, they experienced the judgment of God. And the text says, for seven long years, they suffered at the hands of the Midianites. Look with me to verse... Well, I read verse 2. Look at verse 11. Chapter 6, I'm sorry. Chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezite. Abiezrite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. What's the point? The point is that times were so difficult because of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and, and the Noachites, and the... Two people got it. Two people, I think two people got it. The Noachites, they were there. Was that you, Jessica? The Noachites, they were there too. And we were troubling the people of Israel. And, and, and the text reveals to us the times were so difficult, they actually had to hide their rations. They had to hide their food. It says that Gideon was beating out wheat. Where? At the wine press. It wasn't the traditional place or the customary place for beating out wheat. Because they were hiding food. The Midianites were a constant presence in the land. And all of this trouble in their lives because of their sin. Here's a statement for you. The truth is, mankind has never been able to live apart from the Lord and have peace. Mankind has never been able to live apart from the Lord and have peace. It's never been possible. It's not happening right now. And it's never going to happen. As long as we choose to live our lives apart from the Lord, there's always going to be problems. Dire 
consequences as a result of our disobedience or our rebellion against the Almighty God. Now, it's worth noting that because in this generation, I don't know, four or five thousand years removed from this one particular incident in this passage. And today, because of this passage of time, many cultures today actually believe that God is not necessary in our lives. That it is okay to live our lives as we want to live our lives, without any consequence whatsoever. In fact, the culture that permeates society today says, Do what thou wilt. Do what thou wilt. Look that up. Google that a little bit later. I don't have time to get into that. But write those words down. Just like that. Do what thou wilt. And it's one of the clauses or phrases that exist in, in, in secret societies today. It's an admonition. It's an encouragement to live life the way you want to live life. However you want to live life. As long as you want to do it with whomever you choose to do it with. Without any consideration whatsoever on the consequence. How many know that God lives? God lives. And therefore the standard that applied to His people then is the same standard that applies to you and I today. One day, very soon, we are all going to give an account. How many know that? Philippians chapter 2. We are going to give an account and every knee shall bow. So there's a direct consequence to sin. You can choose to live life however you want to live life, but know this. You have to be man and woman enough to bear the consequence. Point number two. The threat was real. The threat was very real. And one of the things that we established from this one particular passage is that the army was large. It was huge. It was monstrous. I mean, the, the cattle couldn't even, the, the camels couldn't even be numbered. That's how many came flooding into the land. And, and don't forget that the land was already the land of promise. It belonged to God's people officially by God Himself because He gave it to them. And yet because of the rebellion, now they, now they have this invading, this massive invading army like locusts. And there's a reason why prophetically under the anointing or inspiration of the Holy Spirit... That the author of the book of Judges actually used that particular term, locusts. It's a reason. Because locusts come in and they consume. Locusts come in and they destroy. There's no benefit. I mean, some people actually eat those things. Like, like really? Like, like really? Chocolate-covered locusts. That's what's on the menu tonight. Everybody come on over to my house, to my apartment. you all invited. All right? We're having chocolate-covered locusts. My wife said, yeah, whatever. You're going to eat locusts all by yourself. But this threat was extremely real. I want to tell you a story. And I, and I, I feel it already. Some of you are not going to, you're not going to track with me. You're just not going to track with me for whatever reason. But it's a true story nonetheless. And it's a personal experience. And it has to do with the enemy that we have to contend with today in society. How many know the devil is real? Right, let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. You got to work with me. I, I like participation. The devil is real, right? But oftentimes, especially we church folk, we live as if he's not. 
at least in terms of our language or our reference to him, uh, things along those lines. We don't necessarily talk about the devil in church, per se. It's one of those taboos. Yes, talk about grace, forget about all that other stuff. But the reality is somebody out, somebody once said that you cannot defeat an enemy that you have no knowledge of. And doesn't that make sense? If you don't know your enemy, how can you win a battle against your enemy? The battle is real. How many know that angels are real? Right? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, be careful how you entertain... I'm, I'm about to rip it off my head. The Bible says that be careful how you entertain strangers because you could be entertaining angels unawares. Is that past tense? Was that some other dispensation? No? How many believe that it's very well likely to be... that you, It probably happened to you. I don't know about you, but I believe it. If it's in the Bible, I, I, I believe it. But demons are also just as real. And how many know they manifest themselves all the time as well? So in, in, in Maryland, I was associate pastor and youth pastor. Right? And first two weeks, within the first month of my time there in the church... <clears throat> Every year they have an event called Winterfest. And all the young people in the Delmarva, D.C. region go to Ocean City, Maryland Convention Center. The Church of God in Maryland actually rents out for the whole weekend the convention center. And we packed that thing out. There was 4,000 children, youth, 2,500 children, little ones like the ones we dismissed, at least 2,000 staff persons. The place was jam-packed. We had people like Jensen Franklin come in and, and speakers and various, various artists, um, musical groups that you hear on the radio today. I mean, it was an amazing event. And after that first night, we went back to the hotel and we were all gathered sort of like the afterglow, right? We were like, wow, what an amazing time. And I had all my teenagers in one hotel room and then immediately there was this loud banging at the door. True story. And two of the teens who were getting ready on the other side in the, in, the, in the hotel room next to that one, they're, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, come quick, come quick. I mean, and they were freaking out. You talk about hysteria. I go out of the room and into the next room, and one of the girls standing in the middle of that room with her hands like this, and she was hissing. She was hissing. Use your imagination. A demon was manifesting itself through her. And guess what? It called me by name. It said, Rick Cartagena, you can't have her. She belongs to me. So the point is only to get across to you that they are in, that the enemy is real. You and I are dealing with a real devil. And what does the Bible say? First Peter, write this one down. Chapter 5, verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant. That word sober in the Greek, I may have said this before, is not a reference to abstinence from drugs or alcohol. Although you could put it in there. It's a reference to your mindset, perspective. Be sober, be vigilant. Because the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may whom he may devour. Let's look at what the Bible says about the devil. Most people think, oh, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. He's, he's texting you, he says, pay attention. Pay attention, Linda, that's what he's saying. So, 
society today says that the devil is red, that the devil has horns, <laughs> that the devil walks around with a pitchfork. And the truth is that nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 19. I'm not going to read the verses, all the verses. I'm going to paraphrase, make emphasis of the, the parts that apply. It says, you were, this is God talking about the devil. He says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, God says. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. He's talking about an angel of the highest rank in this one particular verse. And verse 17 says, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Listen to Isaiah in chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Wow, you talking about pride? You talking about foolishness? You talking about evil that entered into the heart of God's precious anointed cherub? He wanted to become like the Most High. But the point is that the devil is real. Jesus refers to him in John 12, 31. Write this one down. It says, you are the ruler of this world. Paul the Apostle, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says that the world is under the grip of the evil one. And Ephesians chapter 6, a favorite passage of most of us, reveals that Satan has a seriously structured kingdom. A vast hierarchy exists. You talk about generals and colonels and majors and, and captains and lieutenants and sergeants and so on and so forth. There's a structure to Satan's camp. And you and I, as God's people, we need to be informed. Because as I stated earlier, failure to understand your enemy almost guarantees our demise. It's the reason why the world is the world. It's the reason why most people are outside of the walls of the church without any faith and without any hope. Because of the failure to understand the existence and reality of the devil. Somebody once said that Satan's greatest achievement was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. And in many ways, it's absolutely true. Point number three. Lord have mercy. Here comes our hero. Here comes our Hero. The passage that we read here today talks about the man of God, Gideon. And we find out in the text that he was a great man. Right? Amen? He, he was a great man. He did the work of the Lord. He was fearless and he was ready always to fulfill God's calling upon his life. 
And after he received instructions from the Lord, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He set out to conquer. He went to his people after he had that dream. And he said, listen, I need you to get up, get up. We, listen, God has indicated that the battle is, is ours. We, the victory, rather, is ours. We will win this battle. And concerning Gideon, from this one particular text, there's a lot that we can ref- infer, infer from this one particular passage. Chapter 6, 12 through 17, if you're writing down, he essentially fulfills the role of a general. I mean, this guy was called by God. He was the man in charge. There was no one above him but God himself. But his heart was in the right place. And he set out to fulfill God's calling upon his life. He was essentially a general. Chapter 7, 15 through 20 gives us the clear indication that he was a wonderful leader. There's a difference between being a general and being a leader. See, there's, there's a difference. A general can often dictate to the people and oppress the people, but that wasn't the case with regard to Gideon. He was a leader, which means that he was right there. He received instructions from the Lord, and he was doing everything he could to convey the mind of God, the will of God, the purpose of God onto the people. That's a good leader. Amen? That's the kind of leader that we need among us on a regular basis. Chapter 7, verse 24, and chapter 8, verses 4 through 5, reveal that he was a friend and a provider. After they won the victory over the Midianites, they spoiled their enemy. They're laying around, their carcasses on the, on the ground, out there on the field. They had earrings, they had jewelry, and they helped themselves to the spoil. He was a provider to his people. And then finally, this is a special one. In chapter 8, verse 23, it reveals to us that Gideon had an honorable heart. He had an honorable heart. When the people said, the people basically said, you know what, we want you to rule over us. And he said, I don't think so, Jack. God's going to rule over you. I know my place. You're not going to get me in trouble. You are going to follow the leadership of the Most High God by His Spirit. So it was a theocracy, not a democracy or some dictatorship. Let's move on. How about our hero? How about our hero today? Our hero, Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High, the Almighty Himself, He was a lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, my shield. He's my shield and my buckler. My shield and my buckler. My high tower, my fortress. He's my refuge. There are lots of things the Bible has to say about our Jesus. What was his purpose? What was his purpose? Matthew 18, 11. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which... Was lost, and to that end, Jesus Christ actually bled and died. When was the last time you took the time out to consider the suffering Jesus Christ endured for you and I? Amazing! First John chapter three verse eight. For this reason has the Son of Man come that he might destroy the works of the devil. He might destroy the works of the devil. 
Think about it. Number one, he came to earth to die for us. He came to earth to die for us. That says a lot. And as his children, we need to take the time to unpack that sort of stuff. He's my hero. That's our hero. That's, he's the man. Just think of it. In the same way that he raised up Gideon or Jael and, and the many others in the book of Judges, he raised up Jesus from eternity past because he saw into the future that we, his creation, would be suffering in the way that we are today. And there was a plan set in motion, Genesis 3.15, Proto-Evangelium, that one day Christ himself would be, man- God himself would be manifested in physical form for what purpose? For the purpose of dying for our sins. You talk about a hero? Number two, he suffered at the hands of sinful man. Just think of it. Some people say, he didn't have to do it, but he did. No, he had to do it. I'm talking about my salvation here. Jesus had to do it. Why? Because he sovereignly loves us. He would have done anything, and he did, to rescue you and I from the grip of the evil one. Someone once said that even if there were one person on the planet back then, he would have come for just that one person. Do you believe that? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. He would have died because of his amazing love. Some of us, some of us come close to loving like that, right? No, not, not, not really, not really. But, but women do. I, I got to give the women credit. Amen. I got to give the women credit. Because listen, my mother went through hell and back with me. And she was there the entire time. And she demands that I get on the phone with her today. It's like every, every like, mom, please, I just talked to you five minutes ago. Well, I just wanted to know how you're doing. That's a beautiful, that's the love of a mother. The one love this side of heaven that comes closest to the love of God. She said, how you doing, baby? Mom, do you know that there's a three-hour difference? I'm in bed. Please. Number three, he bled and died because without it, the job would not have been complete. That's my hero. That's my hero. King Jesus. Psalms 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, even be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Oh, wow. I could go on all day. I'm watching the clock. I promise you, Ron. I'm watching the clock. I'm watching the clock. Ron said, Rick, soft line, hard line. Soft line, hard line. You pass the soft line, you got three minutes, Jack. <laughs> Number four, the Bible says he triumphed over the enemy. He triumphed over the enemy. Ephesians chapter 2 and so many, uh, Philippians chapter 2 and so many other passages talk about when he ascended on high, he gave gifts unto men. I mean, he led captivity captive. And he's all this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff that you and I are benefiting from today because he broke the back of the devil. Amen, somebody. When Jesus Christ was crucified, Satan thought, I got him. I got him. Lo tengo. Terminé con él. But he was, he was deceived because he actually propelled. He actually 
brought about. He served as a, that act served as a, the means by which the catalyst for the fulfillment of his redemptive plan for mankind. He was the one that was deceived. Imagine he triumphed over the devil. And it's the reason why today you and I are able to live a victorious life. It's called sanctification. It's called justification. It's called righteousness and wisdom and redemption. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. Write that one down. Those are the benefits of the cross. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and justification. Amazing what Jesus Christ did for us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16 concerning this hero. Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of, in time of need. That's King Jesus. That's my Jesus. Right? So listen, it doesn't matter where you are. I got to close. I got to close. Ron is doing this to me. I have to close. So just, just think, it doesn't matter where you are, and perhaps there are some, maybe at least one, here among us here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ personally and intimately. Consider that passage alone and the many sermons that can re- de- be derived from that one particular passage. He's our great high priest. He opened up an avenue, a new and living way, an access. To God the Father, I don't need a priest. I don't need you, Jack. I got the King Jesus open up an opportunity for me. And all we have to do is look to Him. You're struggling here today? Yes. I know it. I see it. Look to Jesus. Make Him your hero. Worship Him. As Tim said this morning concerning our theme. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Give Him your everything. And I promise you. I promise you, only He can make the difference in your life that we need. Amen. Only Jesus Christ can make the difference in your life today. The text says that He can relate. There are a lot of people, you probably heard them, right? You probably heard them. Ah, you know what, I tried that thing, but he, he, He really can't relate. He don't know what I'm going through. Really? That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus Christ endured suffering, that, a, a, a level of suffering that you and I can never, can never endure. And He suffered, and He bled and died, so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. Consider Jesus as your hero as we worship in song. Back, <laughs> 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 Declare to the heavens of the earth who he is. 
do you know him personally here today? Is he making a difference in your life? Has he made that ultimate difference in your life? If there is anybody here today, I think we would be remiss if we didn't extend this opportunity. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus and somehow this message has, has gripped your heart... And you, 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 you feel like you have to make a move. You have to make a decision. You have to transition away from the way you are living today. And you want this hero in your life. You need a mentor. You need somebody, to, somebody you can confide in. Somebody you can talk to. Who better than King Jesus? Today he is here for you. And all you have to do, if there is somebody here, all you have to do is slip out of your eye. Slip out of your seat, rather. Slip out of your seat. And today Jesus will meet you right where you are. He'll save your soul. He'll write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He will lead you, guide you, and instruct you in the way that you should go. Psalms 25 verse 5. He will be that mentor that you need in your life. He's here today. Perhaps you're a believer and perhaps you're struggling. You're here today and you're struggling. You're not confiding in Him the way you used to. Your faith is not where it used to be. And you want prayer today. I want to invite you to come out. Father, we thank You so much this morning. We thank You so much for the gift of life. We thank You so much for the liberty to come to church today. For the liberty to worship You like this. In spirit and in truth. For the liberty, Father, got to hear your words of life. And to have it make the difference in our lives. We want you, Jesus, to be the heart. To be at the center of our existence, of our lives. I want you to be my hero, Jesus. We want you to be our hero. Please bless us. Please strengthen us. Please be with us as we go our separate ways. These things we pray, giving you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you. We've got Bible studies Wednesday nights, 6.30. We have a hot meal for you too. On the, those evenings, I will see you next Sunday. God bless.